Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Monday, April 4th, 2022. And today will be better than yesterday. Taylor Schwenk is producing from his home studio in the foothills of Connecticut. I'm Buster Only. I'm down in Tampa. And Sarah Abbott is not in Nebraska. You are in Bristol, Sarah? Yes, I'm on campus today. This is my first day here. It's so exciting and I'm loving it so far. Nice. Are you going to walk around, explore it, you know, look for all the nooks and crannies? You're going to go get a picture taken on the Sports Center set? Well, yes, that's that's, you know, the goal. Right now, I found the Starbucks and that, you know, that's priority one for me. There's no doubt on a Monday morning for sure. It's a busy day for Sarah's a busy weekend in Major League Baseball, all kinds of moves. We talked during the lockout about how there was going to be this tidal wave of stuff coming down with trades and signings, and that continued over the weekend. San Diego Padres acquired left-handed pitcher Sean Manaya in a trade with the Oakland Athletics who continued their teardown. Uh, and the funny thing about this was it went down on Sunday morning. Sean Manaya was scheduled to pitch on Sunday, so instead of taking the mound for Oakland, he did it for the Padres against the athletics, which meant that when he went out to warm up, he passed all of his athletic teammates. That greeting was captured by A's on NBC. Sean Benaya, who's out of the game, heading down the right field line, and as he was doing that, he stopped by the A's dugout. Goodbye to his his old teammates. Four hours ago, they were his teammates. Now they're his former teammates. Strange feeling, I would imagine, for Sean Maniah. The Dodgers got closer Craig Kimbrell in a trade for A.J. Pollock. Pollock going to the White Sox, where he's expected to play right field and be part of what is a really good lineup. The Dodgers, Walker Bueller, is ready to go. This is Bueller against the Angels. Yeah, ready or not. Yeah, it takes that one like a house by the side of the road for strike three and back-to-back K's to finish off the scoreless third for Bueller as he tries to lock it in tonight. Four strikeouts in five innings. Did you guys see that Raphael Devers <laughs> yesterday for the Red Sox? It was crazy. There's a high fly ball. That one driven down the line. That one is deep into the corner. And that ball is gone. Boy, did he go down to dig that one out. Number six for Raphael. Took a long look at it as it sailed off into the corner. That's a three-run shot. Red Sox leading it 5-1. to one. Dave O'Brien with that call. Taylor, did you see that swing by Devers? Oh, yeah. He got the pitching wedge out. That was sweet. Crushed it. The Ones Who Get It Done is brought to you by Granger. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry backed by 24-7 support and access to product specialists. Call, click Granger.com or stop by. And Raphael Devers is definitely getting it done so far this spring. 10 hits in 23 at-bats and six homers. The Angels over the weekend designated outfielder Justin Upton for assignment. They want to go with the young guys, so they swallowed the $28 million that he had set coming to him for this year. The Yankees acquired Miguel Castro in a unusual deal with the Mets. Jolie Rodriguez, left-hander, going over the Mets, who need left-handers. Right now, the Mets actually need a lot of pitching because over the weekend, we found out more details about Jacob DeGrom. He has a stress reaction in his shoulder. DeGrom is likely to 
miss a couple of months because he's not going to pick up a baseball for about four weeks, and then he's going to be reevaluated at that point. He also told reporters over the weekend that he is going to opt out of his current contract. I got some strong thoughts about that. Max Scherzer, also day-to-day with hamstring tightness as the Mets rotation might take another hit. They had lined up Scherzer possibly to pitch on opening day in place of DeGrom. Now we don't know if Scherzer will be able to take that. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, we were treated to a classic over the weekend between Duke and North Carolina, and the guys on Bald Man on Campus are going to be recapping that. We're actually going to record as soon as I am done with you, and they will also be previewing tonight's NCAA Men's Basketball National Championship between Kansas and North Carolina. Should be a great show. They'll be back later on in the week to recap that title game and look ahead to the offseason. Bald Man on Campus, listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. And baseball is back. You know what that means. ESPN Fantasy Baseball is back to opening day is this week, meaning it's time to draft your team. ESPN has all the news and analysis to help you win your league and you can play all season long on the fabulous ESPN fantasy app. Sign up now at ESPN.com slash fantasy baseball. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code baseball. That's code baseball. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Seam heads rejoice. This is Timmy time. Baseball is the greatest game. With Tim Kirkshire. It never disappoints you. On baseball tonight. Tim Kirkchen, who covers baseball for ESPN. Tim, I'm guessing that means that over the weekend you probably were what in Florida, you're in Arizona. Is that uh is that what you were doing? No, I I was at home. Catholic University, where both of my brothers played, had a Hall of Fame induction ceremony. And for some reason, they asked me to be the master of ceremonies. And our pal, Brian Cashman, went into the Hall of Fame at Catholic University, which is much deserved. He was a great four-year player there, second baseman who could fly and really make the double play. So eight people went in. The last one was Brian Cashman. He showed up on Friday night for a Saturday afternoon. He was inducted Saturday afternoon and came out again on Saturday night. I believe he made two trades while he was being inducted and asked him, he whispered to me that he was just about to complete a trade when he had to go up and accept his hall of fame accepted speech. Like, no, I can't, I got to go right now. I'm going to the hall of fame. That's what Brian Cashman's weekend was like. And he was, so good with everybody because all anyone wanted to do was talk to the Yankees general manager and he took pictures. He talked to everyone. He was gracious beyond words. 
So you didn't know this, but we got Brian Cashman coming up on the podcast right after you. And I've got a lot to ask him about, you know, those comments that he made last week about the Houston Astros and the sign stealing. But, you know, the first two questions I'm going to ask him, right, besides the the question of what was that like making trades during this ceremony? I get to ask him to weigh in on how good you were as master of ceremonies. No, that is my first master of ceremonies ever. I mean, I've spoken a lot of different places, but they always introduce me and I just come up and just wing it. Well, this time I had to go buy a script. I had to read a bunch of stuff. It was it was really stressful. I think I got through it okay, but let's let's not talk about that with Brian. Let's talk about his weekend going in. No, we're going to talk about it. I was there the first time you were the host of the Seamhead show on baseball tonight, uh, I remember how nervous you were. Uh, And so I want to tap into that a little bit when I talk to Brian. So that'll be a lot of fun for me. Oh, great. As always, making fun of me is fun for you, Buster. I'm so happy about that. (laughs) All right. We got a lot to get to today. I've got a a prediction that you are going to laugh at or you're going to it's going to make you think. And I'm curious as to, you know, how that goes. But first, let's talk about the, the big trade that happened yesterday. Sean Manaya going from the Oakland Athletics to the Padres. Uh, what do you think this means for the Padres? Because I, I don't think it's only about uh, them adding a starting pitcher. I think it, it's about, in part, them getting depth in order to make other moves going forward. What do you think? Yeah, uh, we all know A.J. Preller is one of the great movers and shakers, as competitive a GM as I think I've ever met. And I think this is a sign that more is to come. But even if more doesn't come, and I think it is, he still adds a frontline starting pitcher. And with Mike Clevenger not being ready potentially to start the season, I think he needed something, another arm. And I look at that team, Buster, sorry, if they don't make another move, they are not a good offensive team. And the way they're going to make the playoffs is to outpitch everyone. And they can do that. Uh, They could do that before Sean Mania showed up. But with him, it gives them an even better chance. Because with no Fernando Tatis for a couple months and the rest of that offense, which was basically subpar for the last two-thirds of the season, they they needed to develop their strength. And that is in their starting pitching, which right now is really, really good. I would assume that at some point they might use some of that depth as they attempted to in in those conversations they were having with the Mets over the weekend where you attach, you know, Eric Hosmer to someone like Chris Paddock to move the salaries. That'll be the sort of thing that the Padres will be looking for. Their owner, Peter Seidler, has made it very clear he's willing to spend money. On the other hand, uh, the Oakland Athletics, Tim, uh, according to a couple of websites, they have an active payroll this year of about $30 million. Now I am personally hesitant to throw the, the athletics into the tanking category because this is a team that hasn't lost a hundred games since like 1979. I know Billy Bean have had conversations with him in the past about the tanking. He hates it. They, they do these retoolings from time to time. Uh, and they quickly bounce back. In other words, you know, the players they get are close to major league ready. And so if they were to, A, be better this year than what we expect, and B, come all the way back next year, that wouldn't surprise me. But again, we have an example, and I think I saw on, uh, on Twitter last night, 11 individual players are making more money than the entire Oakland athletic payroll. That is horrendous, Tim, and I can't believe... This conversation persists just at the outset of this CBA. 
Yeah, and I read something on Twitter. I wish I'd looked this up myself. That the A's had the highest payroll in baseball in 1991 at 33 million, and now that's where their their payroll basically is now. That many years later, but but with Billy Bean and David Forrest in charge, there they picked up some really good players in the Matt Olson trade. There's simply no way they're going to rebuild this team without getting premium young talent coming in. But it is still, it's still sad to me, and I understand how this works. But it's still sad to me that a team that's been this good for this long breaks it down this much. They really don't have a choice in the end. And without a new ballpark, uh, they're just limited tremendously by their situation. So I hate to see this. And it's a really bad timing on this, that the payroll has gone down this low, whereas Max Scherzer is making basically $13 million more this year than the entire Oakland A's team. Yeah, I'll bring in the Oriole fan here. Taylor, uh, do you put what Oakland's doing in the same category as what the the Orioles have been doing? You know, so while the A's have this track record of retooling, and that's why we keep saying retooling and not tanking, I think there's something a little more nefarious or cynical afoot with uh, this go around with the athletics. I mean, the way that they've handled the whole stadium situation and, you know, crying poor is which is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, I mean, I think that might point more to an Orioles situation than what we're used to with the athletics. Yeah. And we got to remember uh, about the athletics that their owner during the pandemic season 2020, he was the one who wanted to cut his minor leaguers weekly salary from four hundred to three hundred dollars. And when that information got out, he was embarrassed into reversing that. So there might be some of this uh, for sure. The athletics feeling like, okay, for this year, we're going to make a ton of money while we retool. But again, every time we've seen Oakland do this, they quickly bounce back as opposed to having these four or five, you know, six year stretches where they're not investing in their team and they're just banking a lot of money. All right. So, Tim, there's no doubt, you know, the the big development in baseball in recent days, uh, what's happening with Jacob DeGrom. He had some so- shoulder soreness the other day, was sent for an MRI. They get the bad news that he has a stress reaction. As we sit here today, it might be six weeks. It might be two months. It might be two and a half months before potentially he can pitch. And on top of that, we also find out that Max Scherzer is dealing with a bit of a groin issue. And from what I've been told, like the Mets have behind the scenes have not counted on DeGrom necessarily for anything this year. They're preparing for the worst, hoping for the best in his situation uh, but they're out there scrambling to get pitching depth. That's the risk all along when you have you know that much invested in two older pitchers. Right. And this is so discouraging, Buster, because I saw the Mets a week ago Monday and they were they were in such great shape. Buck Walter was in such a great mood. You looked at that club and you thought this team could win the division. At least I did. And, and less than two weeks later, the best pitcher in the game is hurt and he might not be back till June for all we know. And Max Scherzer, who is you know, the, the wild competitor that he is, he'll throw a bullpen tomorrow and then they'll know more about him. But can you imagine you know, the expectations and the excitement over that team, especially with those two guys at the top of the rotation. And now there's a chance they're going to open the season with neither one of them in the rotation. That's that's a really bad situation for the Mets and for the game. This is what we all worried about, Buster. 
shorten spring training, lockout going too late, somebody's going to get hurt, and really maybe the first guy to get hurt is the best pitcher in the game. So uh, one of the most interesting thing that was said with this situation came from Jacob deGrom himself, who told reporters that, yes, even despite the fact that he has this injury, he is going to opt out of his contract at the end of the year. He has one year left, guaranteed 2023, $35 million. And then he has a, a, a t- team option attached to his contract after that. So he's going full bore ahead, which is why I do wonder at some point, given the, you know, the elbow issues he had last year, uh, you know, given all the, the physical issues that he had at some point for him, from his perspective, because he's intent on opting out of this contract, does this mean that his focus is going to be, look, I, I need to get myself healthy, you know, and that's the big, that's the big push at some point. And the more that I thought about it, Tim, the fact that he's insisting that he's going to opt out, I, I, my reaction that was, you know what, he's not coming back to the Mets. Like he is ready to leave. And right away, my thought process, and forgive me because I'm jumping ahead, okay? I'm, I'm the person reading the book, and I'm going to the last pages of, of the book to see what happens at the end. I would not at all be surprised if in 2023, Jacob deGrom is with the Atlanta Braves. You know, he, he is, a, I think, someone who doesn't like all the, you know, the hoopla, the chaos that comes with playing in a big market. Um, you know, I think he, you know, they always play that song, uh, Simple Man, whenever he takes the mound. Uh, I, I think that describes him. I don't think he's a bells and whistles type guy. And if he's intent on opting out, uh, hey, Atlanta Braves are a great fit. They got a great clubhouse culture. They got an excellent defense. I think he'd have a lot of fun pitching there. He's from, as I mentioned, Florida, uh, pitching for the Braves in Southeast. That has become for a lot of players uh, a, a place where guys like Charlie Morton want to go and pitch on short-term deals. What do you think yeah. about my prediction this far out? Well, it's a little far out, Buster, but you're you're more far out than almost any writer I've ever met. And that's <laughs> why we that's why we love you, Buster. I must say. Um, now he has, as you know, acknowledged I'm going to opt out and I want to re-sign with the Mets. But you're right. Once you opt out, now everyone is involved. And if he's healthy, he's going to be able to go essentially wherever he wants. And as you know, Buster, all sorts of national writers have have begged to do the Jacob deGrom story, myself included. And in each case, PR tells us, look, He's a great guy, but he's not interested in doing that, which supports your point that maybe New York is not the exact market for him. Maybe he'd like to just go to Atlanta or some slightly smaller market and just blow people away and go home afterwards. You know, that's what I think he really likes. So I just I must say I found it odd that he's hurt again. And and that injury is, again, hooked to opting out. I might have said, look, I can't talk about opting out until I get completely healthy and see yep. where I am. For him to put both of those together was a surprise to me. Yeah, 100 percent, which is why I, you know, I'm beginning to wonder what's in his mind about, uh, you know, what his future's uh, going to be, where he's going to be. Uh, over the weekend, we also got this deal between the White Sox and the Dodgers, which was interesting for sure. You had uh, the White Sox trading Craig Kimbrell, who they uh, a relief pitcher who they picked up a sixteen million dollar option on last fall, to the Dodgers for AJ Pollock. And I must say, Tim, my reaction to the deal is, and I talked to evaluators with other teams, they really love this deal for the White Sox because Craig Kimbrell was a misfit toy for the White Sox because he wants to be the closer. 
uh, after he went to the White Sox last year and wasn't the closer. He wasn't close to being the same pitcher he was when he was the closer for the Cubs. Uh, and it, you know, so Kimbrell was never going to be a great fit for them. He's also expensive. And yet in return for Craig Kimbrell, the White Sox get a really useful player, AJ Pollock, who demonstrated last year when he plays, he can rake. What'd you think of this deal? Well, when AJ Pollock was right last year for a month and a half, he was one of the best hitters in the national league. That guy can hit and that we know the White Sox were looking for another outfielder. Anyway, they would have preferred maybe a left-handed hitter like Michael Conforto, who would have come really in an expensive way. So I love this deal for the White Sox, but I love it for the Dodgers too. I am a big believer after this amount of time, Buster, that closers are closers. I've seen it before when Eric Gagne and million years ago became an eighth inning guy and wasn't the same. Craig Kimbrell wasn't the same in Chicago because he wasn't the closer. Now he'll go to L.A. and I think he will be the closer because even though Blake Trinan is so good, I don't know how anyone ever gets a hit off of that guy. I know that when he was with the Nationals, he was more comfortable pitching in the seventh inning or eighth inning. And that doesn't mean he didn't have the guts to pitch the ninth. He proved last year that he does. I think he's more valuable going to get you out of a bases loaded spot in the seventh inning or something like that in the eighth, and then turn it over to Craig Kimbrell, who is clearly better when he's just pitching the ninth inning. So I really like this trade for the Dodgers, and I like it slightly more for the White Sox. So, Kimbrell, you hope that he comes back for the Dodgers and pitches the way that he did in the first half uh, of last season for the Cubs. I will tell you that I'm a little I was a little surprised that the Dodgers, who value flexibility so much in the way they use their players, the position players, uh, you know, in recent years when Kenley Jansen has struggled at closer, they've moved. They've had the conversation of being uh, you know, able to move guys in and out of that spot in the ninth inning, especially when we get to October. I'm a little bit surprised it was the Dodgers that picked up the guy that's saying, I need to pitch the ninth inning. Were you at all surprised by that? Well, we know the Dodgers, like you said, really value flexibility, that they can play Gavin Lux at shortstop, second base, left field or center field. They love that, as do most most teams. But I think at some point you have to acknowledge, all right, Craig Kimbrell is different and let's give him his comfort role again, which he didn't have with the White Sox. That doesn't mean Blake Trinan or anyone else won't close a game once in a while. But I think they'll be comfortable with Kimbrell doing this because I think he's really good still. I just think he was in the bad role last year for him, and he'll pitch better in the new role. All right. Before we go, get a bleacher tweet from one of our listeners, Andrew, Andrew DeSalvo at DeSalvotion. Uh, asked, can you put the following four events in chronological order, Tim? So you, I'm going to give you four events. You line them up in the order you think they're going to happen. A new MLB expansion team plays its first game. The Rays no longer call Tampa Bay home. The Oakland A's no longer call Oakland home. The 2028 All-Star Game. And those uh, in, those four in order chronologically as we move forward. What do you think? Oh, boy. Um, you want me to take a stab? Yeah, let's let you take a stab so you don't yell at me for my four list. So go ahead. Uh, the Oakland Athletics no longer call Oakland home. I think that's number one. I think number two, and I don't think the Tampa Bay Rays are going to leave Tampa Bay. Uh, I think they're going to stay in this area in one form or fashion. Uh, that'll be number two for me. Then after those two situations are settled, we get expansion. And then the 2028 All-Star Game happens after all that. What do you think? Well, I'm with you there. 
there will be no expansion until Tampa Bay and Oakland is settled in some form or another. I don't see the A's moving out of Oakland. The way it's been explained to me, their owner, John Fisher, just doesn't want to be the guy that moves the A's out of Oakland. So I think hopefully they're going to get a new ballpark. I think the Rays are going to stay and hopefully they get a new ballpark and we will have no expansion until those teams are settled. And it's 2022. I think within six years, the Rays and the A's will be in new ballparks where they in their area. And so I'll put the 2028 all-star game last and I'll put uh, expansion after those other two teams get uh, a, pl- a new place to play. Okay. So you and I disagreed on that one point about Oakland right. uh, moving out of that area. All right, Tim, I can't wait to talk to Brian Cashman. I'm sure he's got great observations about you as the master of ceremonies. Don't ask him about me, please. It was his weekend and it was his day. Ask him about him, please. But I know you, Buster, you won't ask him any question about him. You'll only ask about me, I'm sure. (laughs) Thanks, Tim. All right, talk to you soon. Dogs are an important part of our lives and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you gotta check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, Ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes. The clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Brian Cashman is the general manager of the New York Yankees. Brian, how are you doing today? All good. How about you, Buster? I'm doing great. Uh, I've got a lot to talk to you about. You made big news last week. Uh, I want to ask you about the defensive changes that you guys have this year. But we learned this morning that uh, you were, of course, honored over the weekend by Catholic University, your alma mater. And the master of ceremonies was our Tim Kirkchin, who just preceded you on the podcast. And I told him I was going to ask you, uh, how would you rate the, his effort at the microphone? Uh, that was fantastic. He was awesome. I mean, I, you know, he is, you know famous and it certainly added and heightened the experience uh, for all those who participated whether it's the inductees like myself or the, or the audience uh, when, when you have someone like Tim Kirchin's stature taking the time to uh, 
essentially do the introductions and participate in the program, you know, it's a big deal. So uh, I was really honored that Tim, uh, Tim was there. I, I, I was sitting, I, I didn't know he was going to be there. So I was actually sitting in the front row with my fellow inductees and, and I took a picture of uh, Tim at the podium and sent it on to Booney. I'm like, guess who's here? And he's like, my man. So I was uh, really pleased. Yeah, we didn't want to hear that. We want to heard how he blew it, how he was messed. He screwed up with the script. And I can tell you personally, like he gets really nervous when he's in the point guard spot like that. Well, that's probably what makes him successful because it's clear he did a lot of work on each of the uh, uh, inductees. By He spent a lot of time drilling down on their backgrounds, what they did, what the accomplishments were, and, and telling a story leading up to the introductions. And then obviously the universities did videos, uh, presentations for each of the inductees. So he, he did the work. So whether if he was nervous, you couldn't tell. And I'm sure it was offset by by the, the amount of work he put into it, and which I really appreciated. It was special for everybody involved. And he was telling us that you were executing trades during this ceremony. Give us the background on that. Because, of course, you guys made those uh, the two deals over the weekend. Yeah, you know, it always works out that way. When you have, like, things that are non-baseball related, it's almost like that's the busier time. So I was like, you know, I was going to go to our game that day, you know, to support the squad as they were taking on a division rival, a conference rival. But then I called my head baseball coach, Ross Natoli, about 9 a.m. I said, hey, like, is there any reason that I have to be at the ballpark uh, for the game itself? It's like, I got a few trade stuff that are percolating from yesterday into the day. And I think I have a chance to pop today. And uh, he's like, Oh yeah, no, no, no. He said, go ahead and do your business. We'll see you at the ceremony. And, and uh, sure enough, we're, during the ceremony, I, I executed the trade for uh, the catcher from Texas, Trevino and, uh, and uh, we we're just pending medicals. And then he's John Daniels is trying to get in hold of me. Why, you know, Timmy Kirsten's doing the introductions and stuff. And, and I sent him a text back, Hey, I have to call you later. Um, and then I was actually going to put him on the spot and put him on, you know, call him and put my phone on speaker saying, let's go ahead and tell the players, but I didn't do it. Um, and then as the things were rolling, I had the pending deal also potentially with uh, Billy Upler and the New York Mets uh, for Castro to the Yankees, the reliever and Jolie Rodriguez, uh, our lefty reliever. So it was a good baseball fit for both teams or a better baseball fit for both teams. So both of those guys, Guys got done, those trades got done during the, you know, maybe the six hours of the Hall of Fame induction process. It was, uh, that's just the way the world works, right? You know, you know, you know, baseball business never stops. It's 24-7 and, and especially this time of year. So it was all, I'm guessing then it, it all had to be text messages going back and forth and, and uh, bartering that way. Uh, not all of it. I, I did obviously clearly had a lot of conversations leading up to these decisions. And then, uh, and then, you know, you turn it over to the medical exchange and, and some of, I'd say, you know, there was a lot, some phone conversations uh, in between. So after the re- ceremony was done, I, I'd already had completed the deal per se with Texas said, we're good via text. And then uh, I had to call Billy Epler before the reception, you know, which was everybody leaves the auditorium, goes into a reception hall for, for, you know, you know, celebratory cocktails and all that stuff. And, and I was like, I, I need a, you know, a good 20 minutes. So I was, I stayed in the auditorium talking to Billy Epler and then making my phone call to the owner and, and all various parts of our trainer turning over their medical staff. Cause there's a lot of boxes to get checked. And, and uh, yeah, my phone was on, on empty. And then the assistant coach, uh, Bobby Picardo of Catholic university, uh, thankfully walks around with a, with a, you know, a charger. So uh, he saved uh, my bacon later in the evening, you know, uh, cause I had still a lot of other things trying to go on and you're always trying to do this, that, and the other thing. And I was able to get my phone recharged. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
It sounds like a, a kind of a crazy night. So last week you got uh, I mentioned a lot of attention for comments about the Astros 2017 and, and your feelings about um, you know what they accomplished in 2017 and how it affected you guys. I mean, I've known you a long time and it doesn't surprise me that you felt that way. It did surprise me that you said it out loud. You know, what was your thinking on that? I keep getting asked questions, you know, like it just, it doesn't ever seem to go away. So it's not like I want to run to it. Um, but you know, you know, listen, you ask a question, you get, you get the answer. And, and, uh, so whether it's, you know, Carlos Beltran's now on, yes, of course the questions come, Hey, did you have to cross check with your clubhouse? And you now we do an on-roster invite with Marlon Gonzalez. The questions come about that and, and any of the participants back in, in the day. And I'm, I'm past, you know, I'm past what happened, but uh, you know, the narrative and stuff about us, you know, uh, not, you know, when it comes up, we haven't been, you know, we haven't climbed that mountain at least get past the American league since 09. No, I, you know, I just obviously it's, it's always going to be a little bit of a uh, bitter pill without a doubt, but it is what it is. So, you know, I spoke to it and, and, uh, it's the one thing I think people know when they ask me a question, they're going to get a direct answer. So they got it. You know, and, and then it, seems that it's spun into a lot of different other narratives uh, about, Oh, it's trying to get a contract extension and stuff like that, which is silliness. So, but it is what it is. If, if people ask, they'll, they'll get an answer. And that's that. That's the way I've always been. You mentioned Carlos joining the yes network. Have you had a conversation with him directly about it? And and what did you think of uh, his answers and what he said? Uh, one, of, one of the quotes, for example, I'm looking at it that he, yes released, um, a lot of people always ask me, why didn't you stop it? And my answer is I didn't stop it the way, same way. No one stopped it. This is working for us. Why are you going to stop something that's working for you? Uh, have you had a chance to talk to Carlos? I mean, I talked to him this winter. Uh, he was weighing, you know, I, I actually suggested his name to, um, you know, Carlos is a good man, you know, uh, and, you know, him and I have a, a good, strong bond and relationship with friends. And I got respect for him too, about, you know, obviously, you know, how his career was, you know, uh, from, from an amateur coming up through Kansas city, going through Houston and then eventually with us and on to Texas and then finishing off in Houston. I don't, I don't think I left, left anything out there. Obviously for a small window was going to be the Mets manager. And, but he's a man that's got, you know, uh, you know, a good heart, uh, a lot of knowledge. And, but like all of us, you know, walking this planet, we also make mistakes too. And so I appreciated, you know, I haven't actually read the story, but you know, John Filippelli told me they, they had this Yes Network um, uh, center stage, and he thought he was fantastic and really open and genuine. And, and uh, so, you know, at some point I'll get a look at look at that or read it. But uh, but I, I saw you know a lot of the you know headlines from the uh, from the center stage and stuff. But he's a, he's a good man. So I, I talked to him before Yes hired him, and I uh, as I suggested to Yes, hey, take a look at this if you're going to look for new uh former players that can help you know provide content for the audience which is our fan base or even if it's the opposing fan base listening i was like he'd be a good one also and and apparently he did really well through that process and he called me and asked me what i thought so yeah he and i have talked um but i haven't talked to him since his center stage interview i didn't even know he was doing one after your comments came out what kind of feedback did you get from people within the organization because i'm sure as i say it doesn't surprise me that anyone feels that way within your organization only that someone said it out loud what kind of feedback did you get it uh get from folks uh uh that you talk to every day i mean basically you know hey you're right but uh you know uh but it's creating a lot of noise you know it's it's you know so you know like jason Zeller, media relations director certainly was it's like hey you uh you got some attention. So I hear, you know, sometimes the attention's good. Sometimes it's not as good, you know, but, 
but it was more like, hey, everything you, everything you said, everybody essentially would agree with. But uh, but at the end of the day, you know, uh, it's it kind of like us just try to best to stay away from it. And, and I get that, too. And it's just it's hard to stay away from something when it keeps coming up. That's all. I've done a good job navigating it since since the episode. But since it's a constant drumbeat, pardon the pun, since uh, uh, since back then, it's, you know, you know, it's the bobbing and weaving, I guess, that sometimes gets a little bit more difficult. So over the winter, uh, a lot of the changes that you guys affected uh, involved upgrading different positions on defense. Uh, now tell me what your thought process was as you guys were making those decisions. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, like every winter, you're trying to find out what, what wasn't good enough and try to attack your areas of weakness. And so we determined, um, you know, that if we need to find a shortstop and, and try to improve our our defense in various categories including catcher and and uh it was a struggle to be quite honest uh we didn't do anything before the lockout uh, not by choice it was just inability to match up you know we had a lot of conversations a lot of different places whether it's with agents on their players or or clubs with trades and obviously looking also what we had from within which we have a lot of good stuff coming some of it's going to take a little bit more time to percolate and, and so when the lockout ended you know all GMs are drinking out of fire hose trying to, you know, get back into it because it was a very shorter winter window. You had the GM meetings, winter meetings and all condensed into like a two week period. It feels like, and you know, uh, of an entire winter program. So we, uh, we failed in our attempts to get Connor Falefa from um, the Texas Rangers. And, and then, uh, you know, obviously once that went down, you know, you're still having active conversations the way we handled our program and typically do, um, you know, uh, or our programming and our efforts, you know, I'll divide clubs up with Mike Fishman and, uh, fish was talking to the assistant GM over with, uh, uh, Texas and, uh, I'm sorry with Minnesota. And after their conclusion of getting, you know, uh, the shortstop from Texas, uh, Izzy, um, you know, I think within the next day, fish had a conversation with them about their continued efforts about doing certain things. And, and that's when the concept got hatched about maybe we can, you know, pick up the slack here and, and change our discussions. And it turned out something that moved rather quickly and, you know, where they wound up getting our third baseman, our catcher and, and we get uh, their third baseman, their shortstop and, and, uh, and, and a catcher as well. And, uh, you know, both teams are motivated for different reasons and, and, uh, we're certainly hopefully it's going to work for us and it created a lot of opportunity for them at the same time. How much of a difference can it make tangibly? You feel like uh, collectively the decisions you made catcher third, short, second with Glaber moving over, uh, you know, permanently to that spot and bring back Anthony Rizzo. I mean, it, I think it, you know, it certainly checks all the interests that we have box wise, but at the same time, as we feel like we're significantly improved at this uh, stage from last year, you know, so is, you know, I think a lot of our division at the same time, whether you're Toronto, Boston, you know, um, Tampa Bay and, and Baltimore, obviously is continuing to just get better. And you know, as they, you know, move through their circle of, of uh, you know, rebuilding it. And so it's going to be, it's probably, it's, I feel like it's the d- toughest division in baseball. So we've gotten better, but simultaneously other people got better. And the rub is going to be is, you know, how much uh, all these rosters and their hopes and dreams by the decision-making by each of the organizations have made uh, will play out the way they think it will and, and the health of the, the overall rosters, right? It's a 162 game schedule and uh, we feel really good about what we've got. And uh, as long as it all stays 
healthy and, long, and as long as it also obviously does what we expect it to do. But that's the beauty of the game. It's, it's uh, always changing. There's always things that are impacting and how you pivot and adjust and deal with it along the way is, you know, probably separates the, the strong from the weak. And we, we want to certainly be part of the strong. Last one for you. When you pursued CC Sabathia as a free agent in the fall of 2008, part of the, you know, the pitch to him was you wanted him to come in and help with your clubhouse culture. And it was very interesting in talking with other evaluators, uh, some of your peers, folks with other teams. When you guys acquired Josh Donaldson, the perception was, boy, this is someone who can have a real impact on that clubhouse. I know you well enough to know that you certainly assess that. What did you see in that? How much of a factor was that in uh, in your decision to go after him? I mean, the baseline really was uh, was about all right. We're going to we think we're improving at third, both on both sides of the ball, offensively and defensively. We, we feel like we're improving offensively at shortstop. Uh, we're improving our defensive side of the catching model, um, and uh, and yes, Josh Donaldson comes with a vast array of experience. He's been on almost nothing but winning teams, uh, whether it's Toronto and Atlanta, obviously, and he pivoted and signed as a free agent with uh, the twins, but he's been, you know, and he was, he had that little short stop in Cleveland, you know, during a trade deadline deal. And so the man is used to winning. He's determined, um, you know, he loves the game. Uh, one thing I'm, I've learned more about him since I've gotten him, you know, over here, he's one of those guys that, you know, he's a, uh, you know, he's a threat at the plate every time. Uh, he's such a, a competitor and, but now seeing him over here, I'm not used to seeing a veteran that's not on the road trip. So if we're playing a game over and, you know, pick any you know road trip again against any local team here in, in Florida. Uh, and if he's not on that road trip roster, you know, usually these guys punch the clock, they get here early in the morning, they do their work. And then right around lunchtime, once it's complete, they're gone. It's hard to, uh, to explain seeing a veteran of his stature, his years, his service, and you're it's four thirty in the afternoon. The team's still playing in their you know, finishing off a ninth inning, you know, in in Dunedin, for instance, or or uh, Lakeland. And he's still here. He's still at uh, Steinbrenner Field, you know, in the cage or sitting talking baseball, you know, with coaches. I mean, everybody else is cleared out. He's still in uniform, and that's that's something I'm not used to seeing. And uh, it's a, you know, it's a pleasure to know that you know, hey, he loves this game to such a level. He he he's not taking that uniform off anytime soon, and and uh, he's not rushing to get out of here. He's, you know, and and to the others who do, they they get their work in, they punch their clock, and they go home, and you know, they they use their time efficiently. That's great. You know, as long as all the work gets completed. Uh, but you know, he is, he is one of those, you, know, you always hear those gym rats. He's clearly a baseball rat. He loves, you know, uh, what he does and he's dedicated to make sure he gets everything accomplished that he wants to accomplish. And, you know, any, any team would want something like that. Given his outspokenness in the past, how do you think he'll handle the New York media? Which is, you know, I think one of the questions that people I talked to had about him. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, it's no doubt. I mean, I think uh, I think he's not afraid to push back or question. Or obviously, if you're in, if he's asked a, asked a question, he's going to answer it. So you know, uh, you know, there's some people you know that are wired a certain way of just you know they don't want to deal with the press or you know they'll duck the press or uh, or they'll you know dodge you know with their answers to the press. I think you know you're going to get more whatever real authentic. Uh, positions he has to take on on things you're going to get that and uh and so it'll be you know something maybe you know our our press is going to enjoy because it's it's going to give them you know 
a lot more content to share who got Josh Donaldson really is. Obviously, clearly the media's jobs are to tell the stories uh, to our fans, you know, mostly to our fans, but tell the stories to the baseball fans, right. And convey everything and anything that's occurring out there. And, and some players participate at a higher level than others in that. So, you know, I think they'll you know certainly get a window into who he really is and, and what's important to him and, and what's not. And, uh, and that's, that's going to be a benefit to, to all baseball fans regardless and we're in the largest media market in, in the world arguably and so um I, you know we're really happy and excited that he's here because we just think he's going to make a huge difference when the braves came over and played us you know i noticed the manager uh made some great comments about his experience when he had josh and uh i already heard from the the, the general manager uh alex anthropolis you know from the, over there those guys are world champs obviously the most recent world champs and and they had nothing but praise they they thought he was a real impactful player for him and uh and i trust those guys and you know and so everything i've seen is more than i even expected you know he's it's uh you know certainly hope we can stay keep him healthy and part of our lineup because he's just gonna make us every bit every day better if he's a part of that action all right brian thanks for the time all right thanks so much This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter and producer for MLB.com and is, is well-established on this podcast. She's also a, grew up a huge Mets fan, uh, and she's been able to maintain that Mets fandom to some degree, even while getting into the profession, which I salute you, Sarah, that you're able to do that. Because once I started, my fandom of the Dodgers completely evaporated. Uh, but you follow the Mets closely. You know, that's the area where you, you grew up. Uh, over the weekend, we get all the news about Jacob DeGrom and then concern now about Max Scherzer. They talk to the Padres about this trade at starting pitching depth. What's your assessment of where they're at, especially within the context of the National League East? You know, it's so funny because I believe a week ago when we were chatting, I was talking about, hey, they threw Scherzer and uh, DeGrom in the same game. This has never happened in the regular season. It was all of the uh, sunshine and butterflies about that rotation. It's definitely looking a little bit different now. I mean, I think what really comes to light now is how important that Chris Bassett acquisition was because I think he's a really solid number three. And if he ends up being a number one slash two for part of the year, that's going to be very important. But you do start to wonder about that depth overall. I was watching the SNY broadcast yesterday and they're showing sort of a comparison between, I believe it was David Peterson, Tyler McGill, and uh, Carlos Carrasco. And those numbers last year overall weren't great. I know that Mets fans tend to like Peterson and McGill, but they're the types of guys who have not really had that much experience in the major league level, and you don't necessarily expect them to continue with any sort of, uh, you know, initial less familiarity sort of success that they might have had. So it's interesting. I mean, I was already picking the Braves to win the NL East, and uh, this just sort of solidifies it at this point. All right, let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is three. So it's spring training. We've established spring training stats are not real, but this was really, really cool. So in the Tigers-Phillies game yesterday, three number one overall picks homered. Bryce Harper, Spencer Torkelson, and Mickey Moniak. So there have only been five regular season games where three different number one overall picks homer. And four of those games were in 1998. All three of those involving Alex Rodriguez and Ken Griffey Jr. in some way. 
there was a game where they homered and Daryl Strawberry homered. There were actually two games like that. There was one where they homered and BJ Surhoff homered. And then there was a game where Darren Erstad, Daryl Strawberry, and Phil Nevin homered. And then there was a game in 1978 where Bob Horner, Jeff Rose, and Rick Monday did it. But anyway, that's happened five times the regular season or the postseason. It happened in the spring training game, but it gets better because Casey Mize allowed two of those home runs, one to Mickey Moniak and one to Bryce Harper. There has <laughs> never been a number one overall pick to allow home runs to two different number one overall picks in the same game. And these guys combined for five total home runs, which has never happened in a regular season game. So again, it's spring training, but these are legit hitters. who are going to be at the major league level and a legit pitcher who's going to be as well. It was really, really cool to see. Number two. Number two is four. So for the fourth straight season, Madison Baumgartner is starting on opening day. And for the fourth straight season, it's going to be against the San Diego Padres. One of those was with the Giants. And then the last three have been with the Diamondbacks. So he'll be the sixth pitcher since 1900 to start opening day in four straight years, all against the same team. He will join. 2010 to 13, Felix Hernandez against the A's. 1994 to 97, Kevin Apier against the Orioles. We have Hal Newhauser against the Browns. Stan Kovaleski against the Tigers. And way back in 1905 to 08, Irv Young against the Brooklyn Superba. So, yes, it's just kind of silly. And yes, it's scheduling. But, uh, you know, the Padre is going to have to face Mad Bum again. Number one. Number one is six. So opening day starters, obviously big thing during this time of year. This year will be Adam Wainwright's sixth opening day start for the Cardinals, which is second most in franchise history behind only the legendary Bob Gibson's 10. And if Yadier Molina were to catch him, obviously that is where the notes really start getting good. So Yachty and Wainwright, you may remember last year, they had their 300th game as a battery. There was a lot of celebration over that. So they ended the season at 304 regular season games. So they are currently fourth in, since 1900 for the most common regular season starting batteries. So they trail Red Faber and Ray Schalk, who are at 306. Again, they're at 304. Warren Spahn and Del Crandall, 316, Mickey Lolich and Bill Freyan at 324. So at the very least, they're going to move into third on that list very, very early in the year. All right. Before we go, Sarah, I want to ask you uh, about a bleacher tweet. We got Blade Bigler at Blade Bigler asked, uh, have my Texas Rangers done enough to be competitive in the AL West? My answer to that, Sarah, would be, uh, they're going to be competitive in part because of the context of the division. Oakland doing the sell-off. Uh, Seattle has improved, but I don't think we look at them as being, you know, necessarily a juggernaut. And the Angels are the Angels in their effort to, you know, to add pitching and compete. And, you know, maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. So I think the, the Rangers will be competitive, though I'm not picking them to be the playoffs. What say you? I agree with that. I mean, I think they're similar to the Angels, though not exactly the same. And, and their offense is going to be pretty good. Obviously, Corey Seager and Marcus Semien 
are really, really good core there to have. And we know they're going to score a lot of runs and those two are going to help prevent runs. But my concern is that they're not really going to prevent runs on the mound. They're going to allow a lot of runs, which I do expect the angels to do as well with their pitching. But I do think they'll be more competitive than we've seen in the last few years. So hopefully for this Rangers fan tweeting at uh, tweeting at you, at least will be a more exciting season to watch. All right, Sarah. Thanks for doing this. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Bleacher Tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a Monday. First up, we have Alistair Hay at DiceCon writing in with the Braves appearing to break camp with Contreras and Strider. Are they going with their best guys? No service manipulation to it seems he adds uh, on the side. What other teams are opening with their best? Can't wait for opening day. Most teams are, I think, I think a lot of teams don't try to, you know, manipulate service time. You know, we, we talked last week about the Kansas city Royals, Bobby Wood jr. Is going to start the season with their team. I think Detroit um, you know, if not for the injury the other day to Riley Green, I think they absolutely would have started the season with him, but he's got a broken foot uh, after fouling a ball of his foot. He's going to be out a while. Um, uh, you know, I think that the number of teams and in fact, Oakland, you know, I've had this conversation with Billy Bean in past years where he doesn't worry about, you know, holding a guy in the minor leagues an extra two weeks in order to you know delay his free agency. He believes in getting players to the big leagues, but there are teams that do that, no doubt. Next up, we've got Mr. Jakey RS at Mr. Jakey RS writes in ellipses, John Fisher's pockets. I don't agree that this is just retooling time. Where do you think the extra revenue sharing money is going to end up uh, in his pockets? <laughs> uh, I, think, I mean, there's no doubt it's if you're clear. Yeah. If you're a front office, uh, we talked about this in the past. If you know, you're Oakland this year, you're the pirates, you're the, the Orioles, you can sell it to your ownership that, you know what? We're going to cut our payroll to the bone. You're going to make a lot of money. And, you know, hopefully we hit on our draft picks. But no matter what happens with the draft picks, no matter how we develop, you're going to make a lot of money. So it's not a bad option. And as we've talked about repeatedly uh, under the current rules, it's it's absolutely a, a viable strategy. And it's up to Major League Baseball and the Players Association to have enough collaboration and cooperation to retool the entire system. And quite frankly, you know, while that's on the ownership and I've talked for years about how I think the owners shouldn't want this, it also requires engagement. And that's where the Player Association has to, moving forward, be in constant conversation, generating ideas, thoughts. How do we change this system? Uh, And I would not be surprised if that happens before the next labor agreement. Buster, what about this? What if John Fisher goes out there and is like, listen, guys, I'm feeling a little bit broke at the, the moment. I need to I can't go out to dinner as often. And we're going to have to tank for a couple of oh, years to boy. afford a new stadium. Like, what if he just says, like, hey, I don't have any money. Like, we got a tank. We'll retool the team and we'll build a new stadium. But we're going to suck for a while. Is that too much? Honestly, yeah, you can't say it out loud. You can't mm, say it out loud. Bummer. Uh, it's why. Um, in fact, you know, uh, and I've noticed this prominent a uh, couple of prominent writers uh, who worked under Major League Baseball uh, <laughs> umbrella would not use the word tanking because mm. they know that if you go out and admit publicly and use that word tanking, boy, have you opened your uh, opened up yourself some class action suits from like season ticket holders. Wait a second. We thought we were trying to buy tickets to to watch games of a team that's competing. And now we have the owner coming out and saying, we're not even trying to compete. 
that uh, that is not a slope you'll see any <laughs> owner step onto. All right. That makes sense. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. Of course, they're not going to say anything like that. So John no. Fisher, no more uh, DoorDash from French Laundry. OK, thanks for writing in, everyone. <laughs> Hashtag please your tweets on Twitter. That's it for today. My thanks to Brian Cashman, to the master of ceremonies, Tim Kirkjian, Sarah Langs, Sarah Abbott, and Taylor Schwink. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Thanks for listening to the Baseball Tonight podcast. If you're playing fantasy baseball, check out the Fantasy Focus podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. The Baseball Tonight podcast. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply.